0: Hello everyone and welcome to The Purpose of Movement, a show about pushing past the surface, connecting to deeper meaning with insights straight from those who know the fitness industry inside and out. And here's your host, Brooklyn-based personal trainer, Lauren Schramm.
1: Hi, welcome to episode number three. I'm so excited to share my conversation with Luis Benitez this week. He is a personal trainer and the head of semi-private training at Soho Strength Lab, and he also has his own podcast. It's called Trainers Talk Training, which I'm very impressed I could say that. It's kind of a tongue twister. We got into discussing his ability to persevere in the face of a no, or many no's. Taking responsibility as a professional and developing the skill of meeting people where they are, and how adherence to your program is where your priority should lie. Enjoy.
2: How does it feel to be a guest on
0: a podcast? Uh, it feels awesome, actually. Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm. Yeah, yeah. I'm psyched about it. I'm excited. Um, usually, you know, I try to reach out to guests to, to come on my show. And, uh, you know, it's refreshing. It's uh, refreshing to be kind of like, quote, unquote, on the other side of the mic. Yeah,
2: yeah. for sure. You're totally on the other side of the mic. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's all on you. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, so tell me about growing up in New York. How was that?
0: So growing up in New York, um, just to give you a little bit of backstory, uh, for me, it was tough. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up with a single single mother. I had an older sister, so it was the two of us. My mom was young, and my mother was the first of our family to live and work in New York City. so um you know, we didn't have any help uh essentially from either me or my sister's father. so it was uh essentially as far back as I remember, we were all living with my grandparents and this was back in Williamsburg, not not too far from here actually. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was, uh, it was tight. It was tight quarters, you know, it was pretty, uh, stuffy in the apartment. It was a small apartment. Uh, we had my grandma, my grandfather, my mother, my uncle and my sister and myself. we were all living there. And uh, I believe it was a one bedroom. Wow. So it was pretty tricky. And, um, you know, there was a lot of back and forth. um, growing up, I moved a lot. So we moved to different areas just because of w- w- for whatever reason it was unsafe rent, things like that, but generally we would move from that apartment. We moved to like NYCHA housing. So the projects, um, in Gowanus, Brooklyn. And then after that, we moved to Red Hook. And then after that, at that point, that's when my mom got remarried. And then, um, we moved to Brighton beach and then, you know, life went on and they bought a house in Brooklyn in like a little tiny suburban area on the other side of Brooklyn, which is where they currently reside. But generally it was, um, growing up was pretty tough because, um, you know, especially being in a low income family, the education and the access to good nutrition and a healthy lifestyle is generally very low. So what did I do? You know, like my mom or someone gave me like $2 to, you know, to, to go to school with. So would I get like a bag of chips and soda or something like that, you know, a 50 cent soda and a 25 cent bag of chips. And, um, it sounds crazy saying that now when I think about it, but it was, that was the reality, you know? And that was my breakfast and I would go to school. My grandparents would pick me up from school. I was fairly inactive in school. We did whatever minimal like physical education requirements, um, you know, that the school gave us, gym class, yada, yada, you know? And, um, I was pretty obese because all I ate was like chips, soda. And then when I went home, I would have like a huge plate of like rice and like fried chicken and soda that my grandmother or my grandfather would make. And then that was the base of the food. And then obviously there was like some deviation from that and some changes, but the majority was just like when I did eat, it was an abundance of food that I didn't need to eat, you know, and I was inactive. So, you know, looking back at it now, uh, being active, if I had a, a plate full of rice and I was eating fried chicken, I'd probably see some serious gains, but that's because of my activity level you know, and, um, it's obviously not everything that I'm going to eat, but growing up was hard in that aspect because I was obese, you know, um, it was generally like not, I wasn't allowed to go out and play because the areas that we were living in, there was either like drug dealers, like hanging out in the park or just like, just not good people that you want to hang around. So my parents were always just kind of like, Hey, like we would prefer you to like be indoors and like We'll get you whatever video games you want and things like that
2: so you did not play sports growing up no there was no organized
0: there was no organized sports uh when i was growing up uh there was just kind of recreational just like you know fooling around in the park you okay. know so i would go to like some parks with my family sometimes um she you know my mom would take me to the playground run around monkey bars slides th- that kind of stuff but um i wasn't very like uh active like my sister would do most of that and i was just kind of like you know meander around and just kind of like follow her and just try to be as you know playful as i was when i was a younger kid yeah fast forward you know going into like junior high school uh was when i started to show more interest or or actually like i wasn't really interested in physical activity at that point but i was starting to develop certain insecurities like start being aware of like oh i was obese like i like this girl you know like she's never gonna go for me because i'm obese or whatever blah blah, blah. And I had these like things in my head and I felt like I couldn't do anything about it, you know, and I felt helpless in that sense. Um, so that was like a, a difficult time, you know, in my life. And then uh, the only like, you know, fatherly like role models that I had were essentially my uncle and my grandfather. And my grandfather had been home from like, he had an accident at work, so he couldn't really work anymore. So he was always home. And then my uncle was just, you know, he was like twenty something at the at the at the time. Also, growing up, just to a little bit more context is that with the obesity that I was struggling with, I also had asthma, and so that always presented a problem. Whenever I did want to do some kind of physical activity, I was immediately discouraged because the second I did anything, I'd feel like I was out of breath, and you know I wasn't capable of doing it. And I was like, maybe someone with asthma shouldn't be doing something like this.
2: Did they give you your doctor give you a solution of some sort?
0: Yeah, the solution was uh, here's a albuterol pump and a peak flow meter. Like check every morning to see where you are, uh, as far as like your lung capacity or like output. And then if it's really bad, just don't do any physical activity that day. You so know,
2: no, no lifestyle or dietary
0: change. Not necessarily. You know, if there was like I wasn't speaking directly to the doctor, I'm sure there was, but you know how my parents perceived it or like how they decided to relay that information to me is kind of unknown. You know, so sure. I, I don't know exactly, like, what was said there. I'm sure, or at least I hope that there was some kind of recommendation. i like, hey, he needs to be a little bit more active, yada, yada. But um, nothing that I was made aware of or that I remember exactly. Like, oh, okay, they said this, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and it was, so it was around uh, junior high school that my cousin, who was, um, was, it junior? It was, we were 14 years old. Um, she was younger than I am, uh, than I was, and then at the time, she was 14, so she decided to go for a stroll, and, you know, she walked from whatever, like, I would say, like, East Williamsburg over to McCarran Park, uh, which is, like, maybe, like, a mile, a mile and a half, something like that, and uh, when she got there, she had, it triggered an asthma attack that led to cardiac arrest, and then, you know, she was pronounced dead on the scene, so it was one of those things that was, um, it was an eye-opener for me because I was just like, shit, like I was in the same hospitals as her. Like there were times where we were next to each other on nebulizers, you know, like being treated for like severe asthma symptoms. And um, that was kind of like the fire that I needed. And I was like, whoa, like if I don't do something, then, you know, I might wind up in the same situation. So that was kind of like the, the, the spark that like really pushed me into like wanting to do something. And it was always from the health standpoint. So for me, I was like, okay, what can I do from there? Like, how do I, you know, take this, you know, desire to do something and better myself as far as health goes, and how do I apply it into something that I want to do, And so I was just kind of looking around, and the the choice for me at the time was volleyball. And the reason why I did it is my mother played volleyball, my sister played volleyball, she was on the team at the same high school. So... I was like, maybe I can get on the team, and uh, somehow wound up getting on the team. You know, I don't know exactly how that happened. I had no athletic, you know, prowess or anything at this point. You had a connection, right? I had a connection, <laughs> which is kind of kind of feeds into like how this industry works, right? Totally. But um, yeah, so I got on the I got on the team, and um, I did horribly the first year, freshman year in high school, and uh, I was put in as a libero, which is a defensive player. Uh, that rotates out so you only spend a certain amount of time on there and uh, this was like six man like court volleyball and uh after that first year i was like man like that was terrible like i want to do better at that i want to play better volleyball and that's a key because we're going to go into like you know motivating factors and stuff like that later right so my goal that summer was to get more athletic so that when i come back sophomore year i can play better volleyball
2: Were you struggling mostly with the skill of volleyball or was it more, um, just general conditioning?
0: It's just, I was not prepped for anything. The only thing I was prepped for was like crushing people in video games at that (laughs) point in life. Yeah. So that was the only thing and maybe a, like a hot dog eating contest or something. (laughs) But at that point I had no physical preparation. I didn't play any sports. Like I didn't even know how to ride a bike at that time, you know? So it was kind of like. I had no like sports skill at all, like
2: no mind body connection. Like yeah,
0: yeah, I had crazy hand eye coordination. Okay. you know, so but that was about it. And like reflexes and like, um, you know, what video games did teach me is like problem solving, especially like at a fast rate. So there, you know, I could, you know, figure so figure out things, you know, faster than some of my friends would, and m- maybe like more creative you know, solutions to complex problems and things like that. And that kind of like feeds into how I do things now. Um, But yeah, I played terrible volleyball and then came out that summer and I was like, I need to get better. Who do I know that is a good athlete that can like kind of guide me? And so at the time that was my cousin, Saul, uh, Saul Gonzalez. Uh, At the time he was a a great handball, like street handball player. Uh, Not the Olympic handball, but like, you know, with the wall, you know, I've that seen people play. In, like, yeah, 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 yeah. So, West Forth. And then, so he used to play in Coney Island by the boardwalk. And that was where, like, all the G's played. That's where all the, like, the good handball players played. And he was, uh, like, a nationally ranked handball player. And he would travel to, like, play at, like, national level competitions and things like that. So, I was like, okay, maybe I can hang out with him. So, that summer, I played uh, handball with him. And that was kind of like, that's what started my, like, more active lifestyle outside of school. And then I lost a ton of weight. You know, at that time, it was also like good timing because I hit my growth spurt. So I suddenly went and like lost 50 pounds and then got like four or five inches taller. And suddenly I could like move and jump and do all these things. And then when I came back sophomore year, it was a different story. So, you know, I played Libero one more year. At the end of the year, they decided to move me to like an outside hitter, uh, which is generally in volleyball, the person that spikes the ball. Um, and then senior year I became co-captain of the team and so we made it to semifinals. we got crushed that first game but at least we made it there you know and uh, so that was kind of like my turnaround point and that whole time during those four years my focus was always how do I play better volleyball how do I move faster how do I jump higher you know how do I like think on my feet how do I set my partners up and it was never really about uh you know like how can I like get ripped Or, you know, how can I lose weight, you know, and things like that. It was more performance driven. And then that's when I, during those four years, that's when I realized like, oh man, like if I just focus on these performance goals, all these aesthetic goals that I wanted to help like my insecurities as far as like, you know, confidence and all that kind of stuff went, would come along with it. And I think that's something that, especially in the adult fitness industry, is lacking.
2: Absolutely. So. Um, I have gone back and forth. From um, having just no aesthetic goals whatsoever right. um, to, oh shit, uh, my clothes don't fit like they used mm-hmm, to. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe it's because I eat a cheeseburger every night for dinner, but mm-hmm. you can't do that when you're 25, Right. I learned. For me, whenever I'm focused on the aesthetics and I'm stressing myself out over them, mm-hmm. nothing ever changes, Right. but if I just say, you know what, I'm just going to... Do what feels good for my body. Not restrict myself extremely in any which way, mm-hmm. whether it be exercise or food. I find I I wake up one day and I'm like, oh shit. Yeah, you
0: my feel better. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so
2: that's, it's really cool that you learned that.
0: A yeah. So that was uh, that was what kind of set me up, and then you know after high school it was like I obviously I wasn't on a team anymore, and um, I wasn't in fitness either. I went to school for computer information systems, so I went to uh, City Tech. In New York City Um, and my whole purpose for that was that my stepdad was like CTO of an ambulance company and I saw that he was successful so he was his first like successful father figure in my life right so I was like okay he's doing well I love technology I love video games clearly he's successful with it in that same field maybe I can find something in the middle so that's when I went into like coding and programming and and um, eventually my goal was to like either help, you know, create video games at the time, or like, be part of a company that, you know, allows some of that stuff to happen. And, uh, it took a turn a little bit and I wound up actually getting into like cybersecurity and counter security. Um, so that was, um, both interesting, but also kind of sketchy, you know, but, uh, it was fun. It was something that I enjoyed doing, but I found myself kind of falling back into my old habits, you know, um, not being as active as I used to. I wasn't playing a sport anymore. Uh, I didn't have like a performance motivator, you know, pushing me anymore. So I was like, okay, like someone's gotta change. Mm -hmm. So that's when I started like doing the endurance racing. So I did some Spartan races and that turned into like triathlons. And then I got to a point where I needed to get stronger. And that's when I was introduced to powerlifting. Powerlifting kind of led me into Olympic weightlifting and then from that point, you know, that's all she wrote. And I fell in love with the sport for many, many reasons. Um, but as far as like teaching me, uh, not just the f- stuff in the gym, but also outside of the gym, like how to stay focused, uh, how to stay accountable, how to, uh, again, give myself performance goals to keep my mind off of the, off of the aesthetic goals, you know, and... Um, weightlifting has taught me so much as far as like staying consistent, um, you know, managing intensity, you know, making sure that I recover. And that means like sleeping well, eating well, you know, uh, at the same time, like trying to develop myself professionally at this point, I made a change and I decided, okay, you know what, like fitness is, is what I wanted to do. My uncle who, uh, kind of mentioned earlier was working at the gym. He was a trainer. And that's kind of, that's how I made the transition because he had his books lying around the apartment, you know, and then whenever I'd come over and hang out with him, I realized that I had a genuine interest in it. And, uh, there was a point where I was like, okay, like I'm going to put out two stacks of books, one on like information technology, and then one on physical training and like adaptation and on like human sciences. And we'll see which stack I get through first. As you can imagine, I went through all of like the human sciences and like training, you know, concepts and physiology and anatomy and all that kind of stuff. And that's what kind of like changed gears for me. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to finish up my degree, finish that out and then switch majors and just focus on like training, you know. And um, yeah, I I got a job front desk at a gym and then work my way from like the corporate big box kind of gyms. Uh, to where I am now, which is at Soho Strength Lab. Okay. So.
2: so you never used your um, computer information degree?
0: Um, I have, okay. yeah, um, but more like freelance. Okay. So I would develop like custom firmware for like Android phones and things like that. So people would tell me like exactly what they wanted their screen to look like and I'd make custom battery icons and like all this kind of stuff. Okay. Um, but past that, I never really use that.
2: So straight out of college, you went right into fitness. Right. That's great. I love your um, experiment you did with yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of like, it it was like, I needed to know, you know, I was like, if I'm going to stop doing this, I need to know that like, I'm actually interested in this. And so I needed to kind of give myself something that's like, clearly indicated to me that this is what I wanted to do. And that was it. That's all I could think of at the time. You
2: know, honestly, and that's a great, all the topics you mentioned are not requirements for becoming a personal trainer, and right. understanding all of those things and knowing um, that you're still interested even after you get past the, I don't want to say boring stuff, but tedious and right. hard to learn things that are necessary in order to really coach properly. Right. That's really cool.
0: Yeah. And so that I actually got from my computer information system background, right? Because everybody looks at like these pretty apps that are being used you know, these websites that like schedule your, you know, like your calendar, like you, you know, use to to schedule this session. And, um, you know, everybody looks at the end goal and you focus on that. And like, wow, that's good. That looks really clean and polished, but they don't necessarily focus on all the work that led up to that. And it starts at the very, very basics. And so before I got to, you know, like write programs for like computers and like all of these things and like custom firmware, I needed to understand the basics. How do computers work you know how do they communicate how do the what are these languages that you have to code in you know and for me i was like okay that's how i got to where i was in the tech field i was like i need to do something similar for the health and fitness field and so i kind of uh, was in the mix with like the finished product you know i got a little bit more athletic i was able to do some more stuff i found a sport that i like to do and then I was just like, okay, I need to go back and realize like, okay, what is actually happening below the surface? Like, how are, how is my body getting this stuff done? And that has a lot to do with like physiology and like just it, you can go down into a deep rabbit hole with that stuff. And that's why it's uh it, this is very fascinating to me because it's always something that you, there's always something that you can learn. And even if you've learned it already, you can learn it from a different perspective, you know? So that was definitely something that I kind of carried over. And, uh, yeah. And a lot of it is also through weightlifting as well, because it was like, okay, I want to snatch and clean and jerk the world, you know, but then I was like, okay, before I do that, I need to be able to squat properly. I need to be able to pull weight off the ground and maintain position. I need to work on my timing and coordination and things like that. And that's what like my coaching approach is, is like now. So it's like, okay, you tell me what you want. We do an assessment. I get to see kind of where you are. And then I'm like, okay, these are the fundamentals that you're missing we'll work on that and then kind of get you to where you want to be. And so a lot of that has to do with, you know, what I learn and how I learn things in the tech industry, but also just like my own trial and error, you know, through my whole life trying to train as like an endurance athlete when you have asthma, you know, tough, it can be done. And that was kind of like my big F to to asthma when I did that. And then, uh, and then I realized later on, that's like, It just took way too much time and I would much rather do something else. So I was like, I'm just going to go with, you know, what my, what my heart is kind of like is with at the time, which was weightlifting. So.
2: Yeah. When you initially decided to start going down that path of becoming a weightlifter yourself, Mm -hmm. how did that process look for you and how quickly did it happen?
0: You know, I I still feel like today and it's like seven years, eight years later, you know, like competing and, and training and coaching that I'm still like learning things, you know, and it's an ongoing process. And I think like, you know, they say that like 10 years is a minimum requirement for a sport mastery. Right. So definitely still below that. And it's also like when you hear those things, you hear about that and it's like in the context of they're dedicating their life to it. You know uh, so you factor in living in New York City the cost of living you have to have a full-time job maintain that and uh, you also want to have a social life I think is super important to me so um, you need to kind of balance these things out so that timeline may go from like 10 years to like 15 20 years right or maybe it doesn't ever like fully develop into sport mastery but it's just something that you like to do so when I started it was like okay I need to get stronger i like doing i like how that looks it looks fun and enticing and like there's always something to work on so that'll keep me focused on improving how i'm doing it as opposed to how much i'm doing and so that was kind of my my process i realized i work better by having a performance goal and having something that i constantly like continually tweak and work on rather than like you know an outcome based procedure So I'm like, okay, weightlifting looks like you'd have to work on it for a long period of time. And while I'm working on this and trying to move better and like, you know, be more consistent, everything else kind of comes with it. So that was my way of doing that. And uh, for me, it was, uh, it was actually because of uh, Ryan, Ryan Hopkins, who worked together and he's now the owner of of, uh, one of the owners for Soho Strength Lab. He uh, was a weightlifter at the time and uh, funny story actually i asked him and he jokes around about this all the time we talked about it in our podcast as well but one day i came up to him and i was like hey man like i really like weightlifting you know i see you doing it i've been like looking at it uh do you want to like maybe one day you know lift together and you can show me some stuff and his answer was he kind of looked at me and he was like nah and then just walked away and then i was just like okay i guess i'm gonna have to try to do this on my own right and it was funny because I like over a couple of months, I started messing with it and like started getting a little bit better. And I think he saw that I was serious about it. And then he kind of was just like, Hey, you know, you need to get, you need to get stronger. And I was just like, okay, how do we do that? And he kind of like led me in that sense and was my mentor there. And then, uh, when I went through what was at the time, definitely not appropriate for me as far as like what I was doing training wise, it was like, I could have, I could have like. Seriously, hurt myself. Thankfully, I didn't, and I just kind of came out with great results at the end of that. He uh, invited me to where he trained, which was Brooklyn Barbell Club, uh, and uh, I went there to kind of like max out my back squat to end this training cycle. And that's when I was introduced to uh, Blanco and Joey, who were the coaches there. And then uh, they asked me to come back and like do some weightlifting, and then suddenly I was on a team. You know, and that was kind of like the birthplace for me as a weightlifter. And, uh, yeah, I competed under them for about six or seven years. They kind of guided me, took me to competitions, showed me like how to like run myself through a competition. And, uh, a lot of the, uh, methods that I use to run my athletes through competition are direct image of, you know, how, how they coach and, you know, how they ran people through competition. Um, you know, it was funny because like fast forward a couple years, I'd been training for a while now. I had a couple of good weightlifters under my belt. Went to like university nationals with uh, one of them, James Chung, and uh, I got an invitation because one of the head coaches at Brooklyn Barbell left. So they actually called me up and was like, "Hey, if you're interested, we're looking for a coach," and I was just like, "Hell yeah! Like this is my this is like my birthplace as a weightlifter. Like yes, I'm gonna go coach there. You know." And I wound up coaching there for a little while, and then leaving you know I got what I got out of it and uh, I was grateful for it and uh, yeah so that was kind of like how I developed as a weightlifter and um, some of the lessons that I learned through that and in that place is so crazy and um, last weekend I just, I had my first competition that you know I got I got injured and was working through some stuff so I hadn't been competing for about a year so this was my first meet back at that same gym yeah, and so it was uh, it was kind of magical because I was there, and they actually had a picture on the wall of when I went to university nationals with one of their athletes. And it was the athlete lifting. and in the background, you see me coaching. you know, and I was just like, huh, I made the wall. you know, so it was kind of like, that's a special place for me. And it holds a lot of memories. I've learned a lot of life lessons besides just weightlifting there. That's
2: incredible. Yeah. Um, it's so interesting. Your reaction to Ryan yeah. denying you is yeah. so, it's so interesting to me. I'm so curious about your thought process there where okay. he says, no, like you're joking, right? No. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I'm going to figure this out for myself instead of what I would definitely do, which is like, oh shit, like if this guy doesn't think I can do it, I definitely can't do it. Right. I should just quit.
0: So, you know, I had I had a moment there you know, that was the thought. And I was just like, man, like, this guy is a strong lifter. And like, he doesn't even want to spend, you know, the time of day with me. And so that I started that. And um, I think a lot of it had to do with how I I was raised and seeing my mom, like overcome adversity over and over and over again. Um, And, you know, that that's just like what my mother would do, really, she would be like, denied something, and she would work her ass off, to try to figure it out on her own and then suddenly she'd have an opportunity to do what she wanted to do right so that was kind of like my thought process like okay this guy said no to me I have two options like maybe I'm not good at it maybe I should just give it up and keep you know running around New York City for hours you know and you know wither away and not have a life and I was just like no like this is something that I want to do so I'm gonna figure it out and maybe later on down the road if he wants to help out then yeah you know I'll be more than happy to like Accept that help from him.
2: You were different coming into your career <laughs> in fitness versus the other, like more typical broy mm-hmm. trainers that maybe Ryan was more like. Right. <laughs> like denying right. You.
0: Well, by the time I'd met Ryan, um, it was uh, it was a little different because that was like later in my I would say like six years or maybe four or five years into my training career. Oh, right. So I started back in New York Sports Club. I was working there front desk Uh, my uncle was a trainer and then became like a membership consultant and at that point i had expressed interest and he was like yeah i can get you a job front desk i was working there for about a year and then i was like okay ultimately i want to do training so that's when i made the transition the transition was actually pretty difficult for me because i'd been studying for a while and i was like finally ready to do it and i made the mistake of becoming a trainer at the same place that i worked the front desk and I think that's like huge, all right? People need to be super mature. Generally, the people that are in a gym, especially in like Midwood, Brooklyn, you know, are like younger age group. So they don't have that mentality. Like, okay, maybe this guy's been studying forever. I was literally told one of the first weeks that I was there, what do you know? You were working the front desk a week ago. And I was just like, that moment for me, it was like an eye-opening moment. And I was like, whoa, I get it. I should not be training here. So I transferred out to another location, uh, within the same company. And then I showed up and it was kind of like, I was different from everybody else. All the other trainers there were just seasoned bodybuilders. You know, we had these, like, they were jacked. I'm 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 talking about like jacked. Like, I don't know if they were on that good nineties stuff, you know, where they were like (laughs) sauced out of their mind, but you would think so. You know, these guys were ripped. I was just like this young kid, super energetic. And they were kind of like the old guard, you know, they were like these seasoned veterans that had been training for years. And I kind of like, I don't know if they were complacent or just over it or what it was, but they seemed miserable to me. And I was just like, man, like this is going to be tough because I'm not going to be able to fit in with this group. Like I'm so young. They're going to always look down to me. Like, how can I like prove myself here? And, um, that was kind of like the mindset going into it. And then I quickly realized that like me trying to prove myself to others was probably not the best idea. And I was just like, let me, instead of trying to prove myself to these guys and like try to fit in with them, let me just carve my own path. And let me just like be happy with what I wanna do, you know, and like how I wanna do this stuff. And there are things I learned from these guys for sure. Um, But um, it was ultimately my approach in performance-based training that led me to be very different because bodybuilders are essentially aesthetic-based lifters, right? Their whole goal is to put more mass on this area, you know, and like appear bigger here or pose. When you pose a certain way, you want this detail to show. So we need to train this, right? So it's very, um, very aesthetic. And, um, it's kind of crazy when I think about it, just the sport of bodybuilding is so, um, I don't know if subjective or objective is, is the word uh, where somebody else is judging how you look. You know, and that, that is the whole sport and they're judging, you know, they're obviously they're looking at parameters, right? The symmetry, size, things like that, blah blah blah, posing. I don't know the sport well enough to to kind of critique it, but it was strange to me. Not that I didn't agree with it. It was a sport. Every sport is specific in its own, and you know, I have respect for it. But it was not what I wanted to do.
2: I also don't know much about the sport itself, but doing the most non functional movements in order to get your body to do a certain thing that maybe it's not even meant to do. So you can look like someone who might not have the same body type as you. Right. Doesn't make much sense. Right,
0: right, right. And so that's. It's also like the media, right? And like how fitness for, was portrayed and like gym equipment was specifically designed for bodybuilding.
2: Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. Yes, that's why going to gyms where there's just like walls full yeah. of like lined with machines that no one really knows how to use and the lever system isn't built right for your, the length yeah. of your arm and just yeah. everything. Is, it's the worst. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's funny because I actually had uh, an intake come into the strength lab the other day and we uh, were We're doing like a walkthrough of the gym, and I was like, Here's the upstairs. And he looks at me, he's like, Where are all the machines? And I was just like, Oh man, this is, I looked at him and literally said, Oh man, this is perfect. I'm literally gonna just change your perception of like what fitness is. And he looked at me weird, and I was just like, The reason why we don't have machines is because we want everything to be, you know, functional movement, right? Functional is a really loose term, but we want athletic based movement. We want to make you more athletic. And the more athletic you are, the better you will look. So I'm going to take your personal goals. And when I do an assessment, I always ask people, we're going to split up goals into two categories. We have fitness goals and then we have um, personal goals. Personal goals are more along the lines of how you want to look, how you want to feel. Fitness goals are performance based. So look and feel is like I want to lose fat. I want to gain muscle. I want to feel more energetic. All right, things like that. Fitness based goals are I want to be able to do 10 pull ups. I want to be able to do you know a deadlift double my body weight i want to be able to run a 5k those are like the fitness goals and a lot of times people will walk in and they will have a laundry list of personal goals and no fitness goals so that's where i step in my job is what can i find fitness based performance based that i want to focus their training on and then all of these like aesthetic and personal goals kind of fall in place you know and i was like here's this kid i'm like i'm doing spartan races So I want you to join me on my Spartan race. So I would get these members to sign up for a race with me. And then I'd train them for the race. And then suddenly they're like, you know, they're doing all these things, running, lifting and all this kind of stuff, but they're focusing on like, trying to run this obstacle course race and not die, you know, and I'm in there training with them. And then I go to this event and I do it with them. And I think that's something that's like super important and something that keeps me uh, very relatable to my clients as well. And it's just like, yes, I'm a weightlifter, but I'm also a person. You know, I had a conversation this morning about breakfast and I was just like, yeah, I don't know what you think I eat, but you know, it depends on how I feel. You know, sometimes I have my like super strict, you know, but I can't technically when I was on my mass phase, it was like 12 egg whites, you know, and like two slices of bread and you know, things like that. But now that I'm not, and I'm just kind of like on a maintenance, a little bit more loose, you know, I have like my regular eggs with like turkey sausage and like sweet potato, you know, like, yeah. which is still healthy you know, but there are days where I just wake up and I'm like, you know, throw all all hope out the window. And I'm like, I'm going for pancakes today. You know, give me all the fruit, all the syrup, chocolate chips, give me, you know, and those mornings, I'm just like, sometimes I like feel bad about it. But then ultimately, I'll come back around about it. I was like, okay, I'm just not I'm not doing this all the time. And it's still better than chips and soda. So I feel like I've come a long way with that, you know,
2: and what's the point of just living your life like a machine right like okay you can always be in some sort of program always in some sort of phase never in maintenance right and for what you can't do anything fun
0: right right right. you definitely want to enjoy yourself uh and that's the other thing is is like there are three things that i think are super important and i talked about this on my podcast that i look for in like a successful program where someone like going through training successfully, whether it's with a trainer, whether it's like on their own journey or whatever. But um, the acronym, I forget where I hear it was ACE, right? So adherence, consistency, and effort. So those three things I think are super huge, because adherence is the number one thing, it doesn't matter how intense you go, or how consistent you are, right? If you're not adherent to it, if if you're not doing something that you want to do, and that you look forward to doing, Right, and that you enjoy doing, you're not going to do it. So there goes your consistency. There goes your effort. You may still do it, but then your effort is like, blah, you know, like you're just kind of getting through it. But if you find something that you love to do for me, that's weightlifting and sprinting now, you know, and I do everything that I want to do within that realm.
1: You can find Lewis on Instagram at lewisbnyc, that's L-U-I-S-B as in boy, N-Y-C. Lewis is a personal trainer and the head of semi-private training at Soho Strength Lab. He is an Olympic lifting coach for J2Fit at Reebok CrossFit Union Square and the host of the podcast Trainers Talk Training you can work with lewis at soho strength lab for personal and semi-private training he also offers remote training and off-site training you can email him to inquire about any of those now back to the episode
2: i think it's really interesting to think about nutrition in relation to performance goals Mm -hmm. versus aesthetic goals because if you are focused on how your body looks eating anything that's not quote-unquote healthy to you is going to stress you out it's right. going to be like this is wrong this is bad and I'm under the belief system that how you feel about what you're doing impacts what it does to your physical body mm-hmm. so if you are telling yourself oh shit I'm cheating like I'm not supposed to be eating this I need to work out because I'm doing this like telling yourself you're punishing yourself right I think you're messing yourself up more and mm-hmm. you're doing that than if you're like my performance goal is to do 10 pull-ups. Is this food going to help me get there? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. If no, okay, cool. Like maybe today I don't make a gain in that direction right, right, right. or I don't PR in that direction. I don't know the terms. Right, right. But it's not life or death.
0: Right. And it's relaxed, right? You're more it's relaxed, good. right? Yeah. And so that's the thing. It's like, what happens when you feel that way? There's anxiety, there's stress. We know physiologically what does stress do to the body. It does a lot of things, but nothing good. You know, maybe in like fight or flight situations, it will help performance in one way or another if you can harness it that way. However, like generally, if you're very stressed out about something, it will have negative impacts on the rest of your life, how you're sleeping, your mood, your relationships with other people. It spills over everywhere. So, you know, like chill out. And just, like, enjoy yourself a little bit, you know? And when clients come to me and they're like, oh, yeah, like, I'm ready to train. And, you know, I'm ready, like, you need to give me, like, everything nutritionally I need to do. And I'm like, whoa, 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 slow down, buddy. I'm like, let's just do one thing at a time. Because also, if we change everything at once, we're not going to know what exactly was having the biggest factor for you. So I was like, okay, let's just stick with something that you can do pretty easily, right? Training, we figure that out. Nutritionally, you're already doing something, right? So you're adhering to something, Okay, it may not be ideal, right, but we're adherent. So now the next step is like, okay, let's add some consistency to it, right? So generally, what's the first thing that nutritionist asked for you to do, like to track what you're eating and things like that? A lot of people want to change it right away. Um, I don't like to do that. And, you know, I'm under like the precision nutrition umbrella. So it's all like behavioral change and stuff. So I'm just kind of like, okay, let's see where you're at right now, right? Where you're at right now this is what we have, then maybe our first step is to kind of tweak some things. You know, you don't have to go crazy overhauling everything, but if you do want something performance or aesthetic goal, you do have to change some things, but it doesn't have to all change at once, right?
2: And it's also very important, like you said, to change one variable at a time so you know what's working. Right. Otherwise, you're stuck doing all of these random things, you don't know what's good, what's not, and I, I'm pretty sure no one really loves to follow a meal plan they found on the internet written for someone else right. by someone they don't even know. Right.
0: Everybody has different tastes, right, with different cultures. Yeah. You know, you have to take that into account as well. It's like if I have a, a client that's, like, from the Middle East or like has, like, some kind of Mediterranean diet, I'm not going to tell them don't eat rice. Like, that's setting them up to fail. You know, if I got a 20-year-old that's, like, telling me he wants to get ready for festival season, I can't tell him, like, don't drink. But I can give him strategies to help, like, you know, damage control and things like that. And I think that's the key, you know. That
2: comes back to being relatable to your clients. Right. Being the kind of person where they feel comfortable being like, hey, man, I can't give up drinking. Yeah. Because if they lie to you, it's not like you're going to help them. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, You know, again, you want to build that trust with them. All right, so that way they can tell you what they're actually doing, and then you can actually make better decisions based off of that. Right? Otherwise, if they're just lying to your face, you know, every time you do an, a reevaluation, or they get frustrated because they're not hitting their goals, and then me as a trainer, we get frustrated as well because I'm like, damn, like, I thought I was good at this, you know, like I must not know what I'm doing, you know. Meanwhile, this guy's like eating cartons of ice cream or just like slamming, you know, beers to the face, and I'm just like, okay, now I see what's up. You know, so I think being relatable and, like, understanding and making them feel that, you you know, you're on the same page. You're a human, too. You know, like, I'm in my 20s, too. So it's like, yeah, I'll go out and have a drink. Like, I love whiskey. You know, I love beer. And I'll have them any night of the week. You know, if I go out or, you know, I'm, like, hanging out with friends and things like that, yeah, I'll have them. But it's also, like, I do have certain things in place that help me control, like, how much I'm having, especially if I'm focused on a performance goal, right? Like this past weekend, I had a couple of invitations to go places or like the, the, the weeknights leading up to it. But I was just like, I have this competition on Sunday, you know, like, and I actually want to do well on that. So the latest I can have a drink is like Thursday, you know, and then I can only have like one or two, you know? So I do give myself some room to wiggle, but at the same time, I was like, if I do have those drinks, I kind of give myself the wiggle room as far as uh, expectations go. Like, okay, I'm probably going to feel like crap tomorrow. So let me get some extra rest in and make sure I hydrate even more and things like that. So I think it's super important that clients understand that like, hey, I'm a person too. And I think that's why I don't really vibe well with people uh, like fitness personalities, let's say, or influencers that are very like, you know, go hard, or go home, you we know, like never miss a Monday, like all these things are great. And they're great motivating factors. But those people burn out too. Okay, those people will burn out and all of their clients will burn out because they're all burning the fuse on both ends. And I've seen that happen too many times where, you know, you're held to such a high expectation that the second something slips up, they like abandon ship, as opposed to having like a more relaxed approach, like, okay, this is today. You know, like, maybe I didn't do that well today, tomorrow I'll put in a little bit more effort, we're good. You know, or if I don't want to put in tomorrow, like, a little bit more effort, it's like, okay, whatever. You know, like, I'll continue when I continue, you know, and the world doesn't stop, you know. Of course, we don't want people to, like, fall off the wagon and not care at all. We want them to think about, like, how these decisions that they make influence the rest of their life and, like, fitness goals, performance goals, and, like, relationships and things like that. But um, I think it's very important to, to allow some freedom because that also gives them ownership. And I think that's super important. Mm-hmm. So ownership, I think, is something that, especially when you're working privately and you're a one-on-one trainer, a lot of times the clients heavily rely on you. And uh, almost to the point where if you're not there, they're lost. And I think that when that happens, you're actually doing the client a disservice, you know, and and you're, you're selling yourself short as well, because you have the potential as a trainer to affect how these people think about their lives. You know, and I think that's the biggest like motivating factor for me. And if that was like a type of currency that would pay my bills, like I would just accept that, you know, being like, knowing that my clients now have changed their perception, and like how this fits into their life and how they make a little bit more room for it as we go along. You know, those are the best clients, the ones that are very stubborn and don't, they're not about it in the beginning. And they just like really want to do one thing. And then you slowly, you slowly turn them over. And then when you finally do, they're like all in, you know, and I think those are the best ones. So
1: I
2: think it's really important for people to hear you talk about how you approach coaching clients, right? And you're, you're at a gym that from the outside, looks like a very intimidating studio. It's a very right. serious space where people go to hit goals and to right. be to push themselves. Mm-hmm. They're people too, and you and you're not just treating them like they're athletes with this being their full time job. Um, the The level of stress, like we talked about before, I think most people live, especially here in New York, in um, a fight or flight state. Right. Twenty four seven. And so having the understanding of the human body, knowing that that's not a healthy way to be, and not adding extreme amounts of stress on them constantly without giving them the tools to understand how to recover on their own because right. that's part of being a coach. Right. It's not come into the gym, I'll show you how to do XYZ, I'll demo it for you perfectly, like watch me do this. Mm. I'm great at my life. Like oh, you just sit over there and like learn. That's not what training is. Yeah. Training is like
0: Oh, different than that. Right, right, right. And, uh, so there are going to be people that get mad at me for saying this, but essentially that's what I think of when I think of group fitness. When I think of classes, that's what I think of. Like a transactional like fitness experience. They come in, they get a workout, they're done. And that's so, that's fine. Sometimes that's where people's commitment lies, you know, and it's okay. And, like As coaches that teach classes, it's, it's, it's very hard to structure it in a, in a way where you know, you develop in, in, into like this athletic person or something, you know, something like that. And sometimes people just want that. And that's fine, too. You know, and, uh, but I think that especially when you're working one on one with a coach, I think that's the difference between an instructor and a coach. You know, you have you have a little bit more of like, a big, you have a bigger role in terms of how you help them shape their lifestyle. It's not just about like coming in, and getting a workout done, because they can do that with anyone. I don't care who you are, any, you know, Joe Joe or Jane can, like, train you and, like, give you a good workout. But to give you a good uh, program and a good lifestyle change to, to really get a whole experience from it, it takes a great coach and someone that's, like, you know, worked out with a ton of people in different scenarios. And I think that's where uh, Soho Strength Lab kind of uh, – how it how it differs from a lot of places because our staff i feel like is very robust as far as like we have the same set of principles we understand the science behind it we understand like what drives training what gets people adaptation what gets people results how we get there is very different from trainer to trainer i'm very weightlifting and like speed based so i generally deal with people that want to get stronger or faster Or I'll convince people that just want to get in better shape to be stronger or faster, right? And that there are people that specialize in different things like gymnastics, uh, bodybuilding, you know, the bodybuilding can be done in a way where it's functional. And again, you look at our space and we don't have these equipments. We don't have like sidebacks or like techno gym equipment where you're doing like isolated movements. But guess what? Bodybuilding is still happening there. People want to look better and want to look a certain way. And we do have... Uh, one or two trainers that specialize in bodybuilding, you know. It can be very intimidating, especially because our gym, our main facility, we have two facilities now, our main facility is just private training. There's no, like, membership base, so everyone that's coming in there is meeting with a trainer. And so we have people across the spectrum, we have professional athletes, and we have people that are coming into the gym for the first time. So a lot of times those people are right next to each other. And they're seeing things, and I'm like, man, like that's crazy. This guy is like running 21 miles an hour for like a decent amount of time and then coming off and like destroying this set of squats, you know? And then you have someone that like is having a hard time stabilizing, you know, a plank position, you know, or, or just like doing a push up or something like that. So it's like you have all these mixed levels in there. So you do need to be very dynamic. And I think how you coach has to be. Uh, done in a way where you meet them where they are, you know, because you can spit science at them all day long, and you can, you know, training philosophies, and concepts, and adaptation, periodization, and all this stuff, and I can definitely get nerdy with it, and trust me, I would go down that nerdy rabbit hole, but (laughs) I always take what I want to say, and I try to say it in a language that they're going to understand, so that's where the personal part of it That sounds so cliche. This is the personal and personal training, right? (laughs) But that's where I feel like knowing that person is very important. Because if I know what they do, right, then I can speak their language. So I had a conversation with someone today who was a a fellow techie. And I was talking about how, like, the training process has to be and how sometimes... Because we were talking about elite athletes, right? And we were talking about how they have... Like, they're strong, they're powerful, they can move well, you know, or in their sport, they can move well in their sport. But sometimes I'll get those pro athletes, and they can't do a split squat without like falling over. And I was like, I have no idea how you run 20 miles an hour and change directions and throw football down the field, you know. And it's funny, because my goal is not to like, work on what they already have. My goal is to kind of my my job is to kind of like, okay, let's see where the deficit is and see if we can improve that to help support what they already have. So I was talking to someone that was in the tech field, right? So I was like, okay, we got hardware and software, right? So this athlete already has the hardware. He has the muscles. He has the skill set, things like that. What I want to work on are the qualities that support that. So essentially, I'm working on the software, all right? And what do we get at the end? Once we have better software that can support the hardware or like boost the hardware that they have, we have firmware, you know? So we have like a, and so that analogy, you know, these guys started cracking up and he was like, no, I really appreciate the analogy. And so you know, you have to relate to your client at one way, one way or another. And if you don't have any experience, guess what? You're the professional, you got to go do some homework, you know, speak their language, learn their language, because that's only going to help both of you. So
2: yeah, I, I never made the mistake of trying to use big words to impress my clients, but right. I watch a lot of my colleagues do that. And I think a marker of True knowledge and understanding of something is when you can simplify it to yes. be the most basic thing that a literal 5-year-old could understand it then you actually get it. Right. If you need to like pick up a thesaurus to try to understand what you yourself are right. saying, you don't get it yet.
0: Right, right. You need to be able to not just know the information but be able to relay it to anyone. And I think that's where like my coaching style, I try to like if I can't simplify it and I can't like Get them to do it very quickly. It may be too advanced for either them or for myself.
2: Yeah. So even if someone comes to you and they're they're not an athlete, they don't have a sport that they're working toward. Creating performance-based goals that will help them develop their athletic abilities to become an athlete longer in their life
1: mm-hmm. is
2: the way that I look at it with my clients. Right. So that they're able to continue to move and function. I think people. Especially younger people, we're in, both in our 20s, there's a tendency to not consider your physical health or well-being for about 10 to 15 years. Mm-hmm. And I just get an influx of individuals in their early 40s who are like, help me, I can't move, I haven't worked out in 10 years. Right. And that is just... I'm like, why didn't you come to me? Even one, literally come to a trainer one time Mm -hmm. in your 20s so you can understand your own body, where you need to fill the gaps and go do it yourself. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to come to me when you're 45 and we have to work back so many years of damage.
0: Right. I mean, uh, it's also like, uh, talk about underutilized resource. Most trainers will do their initial assessment free. Most gyms will give you a comp session so you, sit, you have the opportunity to sit there with a professional and ask them a million questions on like, is this right for me? How can I do this without killing myself in 10 years? Okay, and that's an under, underutilized resource that is available anywhere, especially in New York City. There's like a million trainers here. There's, a, there's not an actual like base number on anything, <laughs> but it's, it's what it feels like, yeah. you know?
2: Even if someone, I'm speaking for you right now, but even if someone, reached out to me and DM'd me and asked me a personal question for their own health and fitness, mm-hmm. I would love to give an answer. Right. The things that are out there in the magazines are written to be the most general possible answer for whatever question or issue they're solving. Right. There are so many factors that go into each individual program. Mm-hmm. And so those answers typically don't really help.
0: Right. right, and so again, fitness is so circumstantial. One of the things you have to look at is okay, who is the athlete or the client, right? That's one set of factors. Another set of factors is, who is the person giving that information? Another set of factors is, what is the context of this information? So there's so many things, and like I said before, there's so many ways to get to the end goal, Mm -hmm. and it's gonna be a trial and error. No matter who you are, like you can have the best scientific principles backing it and stuff like that. Generally, what I find is like the simpler it is, the more effective it's going to be businesses are always especially gyms and like uh, media outlets and things like that are always looking for the consumer's attention right so they want to put things out there that are very enticing and things that they're going to click on things that they're going to read through so it's like six weeks to summer abs you know do these 12 movements and people are like oh yeah you know i want that where we know that like spot reduction isn't a thing right so you need to like burn calories right and be at a slight deficit whether it's nutritionally or like you increase your activity level and then over time then we'll lose body fat and then your abs will show more right you'll
2: lose body fat all over because you can't determine specifically where it's going to be right exactly
0: so it's one of those things where it's like okay should i do these like 12 ab exercises that get maybe if we had a scale of one to ten maybe like a four as far as effort goes You know and i'm doing 30 minutes of that or do i do an activity that gives me maybe an eight out of of ten effort that burns way more calories because it includes a lot more muscle right and i can do it multiple times in the amount of time that it would take me to do this 30 minute ab circuit
2: everyone gives away assessment sessions for free right as far as i know i do yeah so you know you can't um work with a trainer long term be upfront about it mm-hmm. and just say, hey, I'm really looking to get some information out here. I can't train right now, but mm-hmm. whatever. I know many people, any, everyone that I know in the industry would be more than happy to help.
0: Right. And that's like one of those things. It's like if you're listening to this episode right now, right, and you're interested in working with a trainer, but you're maybe you're not even interested in working with a trainer, but you need some guidance as far as like where you should go in your fitness industry find your local gym send lauren an email you know or whatever find someone and you're like hey i want i need some information like i want to do an assessment blah 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 and you know you will find someone or 10 people that will do it and for me personally when people come to me for an intake i'm not like i don't automatically assume that they're going to train with me my approach to it is like okay this person's got questions they're thinking about training how can i help them And sometimes the answer is something out of my scope of practice. And that's where my like need to have a a good network of other professionals comes into play. And I'm like, you know what? I can probably help you with this, but I know someone that will be able to help you better. You know, someone that's going to be more your style, you know, that may have the ability that you want or the budget that you need, things like that. And then you get a referral out of that, you know? So it's just one of those things where it's like, again, underutilized, you should go out there. You're not wasting anyone's time. That person, if they care about training and actually genuinely wanna help people, will be more than happy to point you in the right direction even if you don't train with them. You know?
2: Absolutely. So. Yeah, the barrier to entry in, in working with someone one-on-one in New York City is pretty high. Someone right. that knows what they're doing, it's pretty expensive. Right. And so that's an amazing way to get your foot in the door. Mm-hmm. And you also just started I don't know if you just started, but you're also doing semi-private, small group training. Right.
0: So our concept behind that, and uh, that started, we're kind of like, I want to say six months in now, approaching six months in. And generally what we had to offer was one-on-one training, which is usually high cost, high results, you know, like whatever. Uh, And then we had group fitness, which is like classes, people can jump in and out. Generally, I'm not going to say low quality because, you know, we, we were doing okay with it but uh, generally across the board, you know, comparing it to one-on-one training, the quality of training is going to be a little bit lower. So what we wanted to do is create something that was somewhere in the middle, that was a little bit more affordable, still offered the individualization and specialization of one-on-one training, but you're just splitting the cost with a couple people because you're sharing a room. We had the opportunity to actually have a second location to do that. So again, our success with personal training was mainly because our gym only did personal training so the quality remained very high people saw the value in that so when we introduced a semi-private we're like we're in a special like opportunity here where we have a separate location where we can run the semi-private only and so that's been super successful and it's a very small group so it's only five people max per hour and we have two coaches sometimes three Um, so you still get highly like individualized, like attention. So you get that one-on-one attention and it also kind of creates like this, uh, this room of people that they're all working on their own things, you know, but they're going through it together. So they come in, they get an assessment the same way you would a one-on-one training session. You know, whoever they meet with writes their training program, they get a dietary template that, that goes along with it. That's optional. Um, the first month we include it. And then they kind of decide whether, you know, how well they did with it. Do they want to continue with it or are they going to drop it? And then they come in three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and they come in. They have their programs printed out. They, get, they grab their sheet and they hit the gym floor. And then we're there. The first time they're there, we take them through the exercises, make sure they know how to do things and all that kind of stuff. And then we kind of like get out of their way. And we like let them kind of go at their own pace. And obviously we do trainer things like we, you know, coach corrections and like make sure they're doing it right. If we see that something looks not very challenging or like maybe it's too complex for them, we'll progress it or regress it appropriately. Um, And then overall, it's just a more relaxed environment, too, because a lot of times one on one sessions can be very intense, you know. And there's something special about like having multiple like trainers and coaches in the room, too, from a professional standpoint it allows you to kind of like relax a little bit and then your personality shows a little bit more. Same thing for the trainees, right? In a one-on-one setting, they don't want to disappoint. They want to get the most out of that time, things like that. So they feel like they have to act a certain way. And when they're in that group setting, they know that like they have a lot of ownership of how they run their program and where they're, we're just there to kind of guide them along and make sure they're doing that right. And so that's been like super successful for us. Um, It's been a great program. So now we're expanding it. Right now we have Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then um, soon we're expanding it to Tuesday, Thursdays, and Saturdays as well. And uh, it'll be the majority of the work that we do in that building. We still have our group classes in the evening, but the morning is pretty much uh, dedicated to semi-private. And we've been getting ridiculous results with those people too, because it's like, you know, they're there three times a week, which is more than most people I feel like would train, especially... um, if you don't have like the finances to do it, right? Uh, And then nutritionally, we provide some support as well. So I come I check in with everyone and just make sure that like, are you having trouble with it? You know, like if you are, let's try to find like a creative solution for it. You know, maybe I'll give you a recommendation of this or that, blah, 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 you know? And uh, it's cool because they get to see not just physically what's happening, but literally on a piece of paper, they see last week I did 20 pounds. This week I did 25 pounds. Next week, I'm going to try 30, or maybe I'll stick it the same way and do more sets or whatever. And then they physically see like how much they've progressed strength-wise. And then when we do that reevaluation at like the six-week mark or four-week mark or whatever, they realize that a lot of their personal goals that they set initially have come true while they were focusing on their fitness goals that were right in front of them. And I think it's super powerful to have something written out that you follow and you can physically see the progress, whether it's weight or like work capacity wise, you're able to do more, things like that. And uh, I think that's really where we kind of set ourselves apart from other places that do semi-private because the programs are completely individualized. Uh, There are similarities, right? People are gonna squat, push, pull, things like that. And we're we're not reinventing the wheel, but how we implement or what set of wheels you're getting is gonna be a little different depending on the car, right? Yeah. So, there's the analogy. Bang!
2: For the car people out if there. For the car people out there. I'm I'm so impressed with that. Yeah. Um, Thank you. You're getting another um, another point, I don't know if you're even thinking about this, but motivation styles of people, Yeah. sometimes people don't work well one-on-one. Right. They're not motivated by an, another individual who has a, an authority position over them. Mm-hmm. They're, I am personally motivated by Group dynamics. Right. And it, it almost feels like, um, for me, it would feel like I'm back on my high school basketball team. Yeah. If I'm training with other people in the room, it's the same people each week. You build relationships, you build camaraderie, and you're not only showing up for yourself anymore. You're showing up for everyone in that room. Right.
0: There's some accountability. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah, I think it's great. And we did think about that um, very briefly because when we like, okay, when we designed the program, I was like, hey, who is this program for? Right. So. Essentially, it's for people that may have been already training one-on-one. Maybe they want a little bit more ownership of their work, right? Or maybe us as a trainer want to push them in that direction. Um, it also frees up the, the trainer's time, right? And we have a couple of cases where people do both. They do the semi-private to fulfill all of like the general like preparation requirements and things like that, things that they can do on their own. And then they meet once or twice a week with their trainer, who specializes in let's say the speed work so there's one person in there that I write the program for they do all the general like strength work with and they meet with one of our other trainers Joe who specializes in like track and field so it makes it easier on both ends because all I got to focus on is the physical prep stuff and all Joe's got to focus on when he's got this person is the speed stuff mm-hmm. so he doesn't have to try to like fit everything in in two sessions a week all right the other option was like okay we wanted someone who we want people who maybe take group fitness and things like that and that you know are doing all of these things and they want something more serious more individualized but again they don't want to be like they don't want their handheld they want to be accountable for their own th- stuff and those are the people that come in and they're not head out of the park maybe initially there's like a skill factor that's a little difficult for them because they have to understand the terminology and like how to run a program and all that kind of stuff, which we teach them. But once they kind of get the ball rolling, it's like half the time I don't have to say anything to them, you know? And they, they, you know, like I've gotten great things. Like one of them reached out to me, he's like, Hey, I had a surreal experience the other day because I went to the gym and I like knocked out a solid workout and I've never been able to do that in my life. You know, I got, uh, you know, feedback from other trainers. Cause sometimes if they miss a workout we allow them to come in to the main facility on off hours and do the workout on their own so now that they're about on their own they don't have us you know there's coaches around but nobody's specifically working with them and I've had other trainers come up to me I was like hey like is that one of the people from like semi-private or whatever because I'm trying to figure out who they were because they were just coming in like crushing a workout and they were like moving pretty well so I thought they were like an independent trainer or something like that and I was just like That's music to my ears because now I took someone that, like, essentially had no knowledge or experience of training themselves on their own and they can confidently go into the gym, especially like ladies. Like, you know, move the bros out of the squat rack. Like, take up more space in the gym. Don't, like, hide in the corner. You know, things like that. Yeah. Super empowering and powerful.
2: I've had quite a few um, younger female clients who've come to me literally their goal being I don't want to feel like I look like an idiot in the gym. Right. And I was so lucky that I had a trainer, a group small group trainer when I was in high school with mm-hmm. um, a few of my teammates on the basketball team. And so that's how I learned what a bench press was, Got what it. a squat rack was, how to move the cables without slamming them or breaking my fingers mm-hmm. because this, there's a little bit of a learning curve to yeah. go and how to like learn how the equipment works and, and to not feel intimidated. Right. It's very difficult. That's a, a great point.
0: Right. Yeah. And uh, that just goes back into like, you know, my approach with training and just making sure that no matter who it is that comes into the gym, you know, whether you're a pro athlete, whether you're new to the gym, whether you're like some high ranking official or whatever, um, just making sure that they feel like I'm addressing their most basic human needs, right? which is self-care and uh, just making sure that they're healthy, and that they can continue doing what they want to do. But also think about longevity in in the back end of it, and make sure that they're not just running themselves into the ground. Um, I think that's a super important part, because a lot of people, you know, they, they go hard and fast, and then their athletic career is over in a short period of time, and then what do they have left? They got scraps, you know, like whatever's left of their body, and you know, it's hard to kind of bounce back from that, and then now you're dealing with a bunch of other stuff like I like athlete identity issues and things like that. So just making sure that they know how to take care of themselves and you know, what's good for their body and like how to fix certain things that may come up and like issues, you know, whether it's like something that hurts or, you know, a motivational, you know, discrepancies or just saying the things that they want to do, uh, figuring out where they want to go after being an athlete, um, or whatever the profession is, I think is super important. Um, uh, because at the end of the day, like, when they're once they're done doing whatever they want to do, they still need to take care of themselves. Yeah, you know, life doesn't just like stop, they continues. And whether they're still involved in professional sport, or whether they're just they're completely sedentary, they have to have someone that they can uh, kind of consult with at the very least, or at least some base level of of knowledge to say, Okay, you know what, my life changed. So now my approach to this has to change as well. And that varies from person to person
2: i think everyone has to have an approach to their own fitness right whether they go to the gym once a week or they go six days a week not having a game plan when it comes to your fitness is just a bad setup for your life right long term something will go wrong with your body that's Guaranteed, mm. Your knee is going to start hurting one day. Your back is going to start hurting one day. And if you don't address the ability for your body to function long-term at a young age, you're setting yourself up for failure. Right. And if you don't address it the second you hear this, you're setting yourself up for failure. <laughs> yeah. There's no wrong time to start working on your body and mm-hmm. working on your athleticism.
0: Right. You can start right now. You know, right. if, you're, like, you, if you're listening to this right now, you know, get up, move around, shake yeah. it out, do some pushups, do some squats, something, yeah. you know, um, do something. Because in the long term, like like you said, you're going to have to take care of yourself at the end of whatever you're doing right now. Yeah. You know,
2: And having a coach who is keeping your longevity in mind is very important because mm-hmm. it is cool to be like, oh, how far can I push my limits at this age of 25, 27, whatever you are. Um, but at what cost? Right. Long term. Right, I
0: and mean, you again, having someone that has been in that situation or has experienced a situation, whether it's like working with someone else, can help you with the, with the damage control. You know, if it, if whatever you decide to do is very uh, abusive on the body, then at least having a professional that you can consult with will give you the skill set and the toolbox to kind of okay regulate certain things to make sure that when you're done playing your sport that you're not just like a washed up like piece of flesh, you know, that's hurting all the time. Mm. So you want to make sure that you have someone that has those best interests in mind. Uh, if they're just running you to the ground without any kind of like, you know, regard for like personal health and just like, okay, like you, it's either go hold, like go hard or go home. You know, that's usually the people that you got to watch out for because everything has to be like, not everything has to be in moderation, but, Especially when it comes to fitness, it has to be. There has to be some striking, like a a line in the sand, and there has to be a point where you ask yourself, like, okay, this is good for what I'm doing right now, but where is it going to leave me after that? Mm -hmm. You know, so.
2: Yeah, yeah. And since you volunteered your accessibility, I'm very excited for everyone to reach out to you via email after this. Yeah. After they hear this podcast. For
0: sure, for sure. I did say it. You know, (laughs) if you do need some help. If I can't help you personally, I will point you in the the best direction that I do know. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a pretty good network of of professionals um, all over the place. And, uh, yeah, if you're listening to this and you need some guidance and you're not sure where to start or where to go and things like that, if you do reach out to me, I'll be more than happy to point you in whatever direction uh, I can if I can't help you myself. So, yeah.
2: That's great. Um, Thank you so much for humanizing this whole experience. For everyone that has listened so far. Good,
0: yeah. It's uh, it's hard to do sometimes, you know, especially when you come from like a computer information systems background. You know, yeah. you get very dorky and like numbers heavy, you know. Yeah. But uh. But
2: it's not broy and it's not intimidating and it's not scary for someone who's never moved before. Perfect.
0: So. Music to my ears. Yeah, I easy. appreciate that. Yeah. Appreciate that. Um. Thanks for having me on the show. It's mm-hmm. been awesome. Uh, I had a lot of fun, mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully, we'll get you on my show soon. Yes,
2: yeah.
1: I can't wait.
0: Cool.